you know, some of the ladies were reselling things that oh, were used completely. items. And I was like, I'll buy that, I'll buy that. And they were like, oh, this crazy lady from America. Yeah, She's totally. buying our stuff. Welcome, everyone. This is Tanya McAneer of Bad Madge and Company. And welcome to Vintage Picking with Bad Madge. Woo! It's our first episode of 2024. It's so weird to say 2024. It feels like very future. <laughs> Uh, I'm super excited with our guest today. We have a very special guest, uh, Dennis Notruft, who is the head of exhibitions at the Fashion and Textiles Museum and a prolific author. You have three books. Hello, Dennis. Hello. Welcome, welcome. Nice to be here. Yes, thank you for being here. And Dennis and I have been friends for more than 30 years. More than 30 years. More than 30 years. It's a long time. A long time. So Dennis is visiting with his husband um, from London. Um, you live in Broadstairs. I do. On the Kent coast. On the Kent coast, yes. So I visited last year and it was so wonderful and beautiful. Good for picking. <laughs> good for picking. Oh, it was very good for picking. Lots of charity shops. That's a charity shop bonanza. <laughs> it really it's is. one of God's waiting rooms. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay, so before we get started with our interview with Dennis, let me do a little bit of our housekeeping. Just a couple things. We don't have a whole lot uh, to talk about for housekeeping. But on February 10th, we have our annual Galentine's event. So all the um, Valentines, if you want to bring your best friend, your girlfriend, your mom, your sister, your dog, whatever, mm-hmm. come on out for our Galentine's event. It's on uh, February 10th. It's uh, during our regular business hours, 10 to 7. It's a Saturday. And it's just a way for us to celebrate Valentine's Day with our community and our other neighbors in, in South Park also celebrate. So you can follow us on Instagram and see all the updates, but hopefully you can join us if you live in San Diego or are visiting. And then in March, we will be celebrating our 13th anniversary in South Park. Can no way. <laughs> it's been 13 years since I opened the store. And we will also have our spring walkabout on March 16th. So those are kind of our housekeeping things. So Dennis, before we get into our full interview with you, we have what we call our fun facts for vintage fanatics. Oh. I didn't tell you that, did I? No, that's not a big good. <laughs> it's just like a pop quiz. It is a little, it's just a one question quiz. I don't like an answer, but I am a competitive test taker. So. Are, are you? Always, yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, so yeah. here we go. Um, I always go on the Google and see kind of what I can come up with that fits the uh, the uh, guest that's with us today. So no pressure. So no pressure. You probably, who knows, maybe you know this, I don't know. So what is the oldest shop in England? Oh, like shop, any kind of shop? Shop. I just Googled what is the oldest shop in oh. England and <laughs> this is what came up. Oh. I'm really putting you on the spot. Well, yeah, because you have Hatchards or you have Fortnum and Mason. They all go back to the 18th century. Okay, this is even made... older. Yes, yeah, so I'm trying to think what's older. This is 15th century. Oh. 1453, and it's actually in Kent. Oh, I don't know. Okay, it's the tulip tree in Chittingstone. Is that how you say it? Chittingston, yeah, but I didn't know that the tulip tree. What yeah. do they actually sell? And so it just says that it's a it's a tea room, general store, and post office. Oh. So it was built in 1453 and was once owned by the father of Anne Boleyn. Well, there you go. Uh, the second wife of Henry VIII. Um, it's a grade one listing building, including yeah. it includes a tea room, general store, and post office. But I guess if anyone's looking to take over the property, it must be kept as a shop. 
Oh, so it's been a shop continuously, continuously since the 15th century. Since, since the 15th century. Well, that's very impressive. So you'll have to stop by there the next time I you're will, in that area. Definitely. How exciting. <laughs> well, so, you know England, it changes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dennis, um, you are the head of exhibitions at the Fashion Textiles Museum. I am indeed, yes. And you're celebrating 20 years? 20 years. Wow. We opened the museum. Well, we've just entered our 21st year. So we opened the museum in... May of 23. Wow. And I arrived, not May of 23, 2003, sorry. And I arrived in August of 2003. And I've been there ever since. Wow. And you uh, work with different artists and designers. And we were chatting before we started recording a little bit about how picking or historical things and knowing about vintage and knowing about antiques really does play into your your career. Definitely. And I think when the museum was started, we were very conscious that we weren't going to be costume history. So there's this idea of historic clothing. So, you know, Edwardian clothing or Tudor clothing. And we weren't going to be that that place. So we've always focused on sort of contemporary fashion and we began sort of from the new look to the present day. So that was our original remit and we have expanded it slightly. Okay. But so a lot of what we've worked with has always been things that are 20th century, a lot of mid-century or 1960s is a good era for us. So we've always worked with people and designers from those particular periods and that is something that I think we do very well. You do very well. But it does... That idea of vintage or picking or retro, which retro as a concept didn't even exist really until the 1970s, you know, theoretically. So those are the things that kind of feed into what we do. And we're very lucky. We work with some fantastic private collections, some of the best ever. And that really comes down to those people really knowing what they're looking for and finding things on eBay or thrift stores or charity shops that nobody else, they don't know what they've got. They don't. And talk about the the Andy Warhol. I was there uh, when you had your Andy Warhol exhibit. Yeah, so we did an exhibition on textiles that were designed by Andy Warhol when he was a commercial illustrator. Okay. So Andy Warhol's first career was as a graphic designer and illustrator, very successful career. And as part of that process, he sold his illustrations to textile converters and they were made into dress fabrics mainly. So, but not necessarily labeled Andy Warhol. So if you know Andy Warhol's early illustrative style, which is the blotted broken line with inks and, you know, colorful butterflies and shoes shoes and buttons. He was really, it was really a fun exhibit. It's a great exhibition. I really enjoyed it, yeah. But that was really the two collectors knowing... Well, having an idea, they saw something and they said that looks like Andy Warhol's early illustrations and it wasn't labeled Andy Warhol. There was no clue that it was Andy Warhol other than they recognized his early illustrations and then they started the process, the research, and then they kept looking for more and they found more. So they've massed a quite a serious collection of things they can verify that were done by Andy Warhol. It was almost all of them, the entire collection, all wasn't it? All of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 99% of it. Wow. Was, it, was that private collection. And they really, they found things on eBay or charity shops or, and, you know, and they look internationally. They're constantly scouring the Isn't internet. That and they find everything. That's so cool. Oh, stuff came from Santa Fe, from a vintage shop in Santa Fe. And it was a really interesting process. And they're really interesting because they have an amazing collection. We've done four, five exhibitions just with their collections. Wow. And But the, do they just specialize in Andy Warhol? No, no. Or they do other things. Other things. So our first exhibition with them was a pop, pop design. Okay. Which looked at 
swinging London and the and, you know in the early the 1950s with the independent group and that beginning of kind of pop art with people like Richard Hamilton but how that inspired pop design wow and then you know shops like kleptomania and how people could use silkscreen to democratize design so all sorts of really exciting things we did that with them we did a show called artist textiles which is still touring the world wow okay and that's kind of where the Andy Warhol Genesis came from because there was a Warhol section within Artist Textiles. So, were, did you come up with the concept of going in that direction, or did, was it like a collaboration? Like, how does that come come about? Well, we really, I think, when the museum was in its infancy, when it was being developed, founded by Dame Zandra Rhodes, and you know, my friend Geechee was there at the time. But it was really, how were you going to differentiate yourself? Because the thing with England and London, particularly, is there are amazing collections of fashion i mean mm-hmm. the vna is you know one of the best yeah. in the world and that's you know five hundred thousand garments and there's no way that we were going to be competition for the vna so it's how do you mark out that space for yourself? yourself exactly okay. uh-huh. and you know we don't have a permanent collection on display so you can go to the vna and see fashion history right and then you can see a, a current exhibition yeah. we don't have that space so we're one temporary space our whole museum changes yeah so how do you get people to come back every time? Because we rely on repeat visitors. Yeah. So it's finding that way of engaging people. And they really, it was that idea to kind of focus from the new look onward. Yeah. And we do completely contemporary things. You know, we look at contemporary design as well. You as worked history. with Anna Sui. We did Anna Sui. And that was fantastic. And that is, that had a fantastic life. That's toured. And we're looking at more tours here in the United States for wow. the world of Anna Sui. The nice thing with the world of Anna Sui, and the thing with Anna, she is like the, like par excellence vintage person. Like she knows everything. She's a collector herself. She has an amazing eye. But the fun thing with Anna's exhibition is she had everything. So every... She had collected everything. Yeah. And she'd saved everything. She kept it. So every pair of shoes, the socks, the bracelet, the earrings, the hat, the sunglasses, the knickers, the dress. Where do you store something like that? Like... It was amazing. So to be able to recreate completely runway looks, and there were a lot, it wow. was fantastic. I have to say that was inspiring. Because I'm a big Anna Sui fan. I always have been. Yeah. But that was amazing just and to you have access with her. very closely with her. Yeah, definitely. To create the exhibit. Yeah, definitely. And we really wanted to create with Anna because Anna started, when she started her shop, it was, you know, she was like, I didn't have lots of money, so... I painted reproduction Victorian furniture, you know, in shiny black paint, and we bought plastic Tiffany lamps, and they be- and that became the Anna Sweet look, this yeah. sort of Victoriana, this sort of Gothic Victoriana. So we wanted to replicate that. So wow. we wanted to create that experience, like you're entering Anna's world. How fun. Yeah, it's good. And that's the nice thing. We also approach every exhibition like a stage set, and it changes dramatically yeah. every single time. It's very creative. It's good. It's fun. So I, and we're sitting in my kitchen, and I've got his three books. So Dennis is a, an author, a published author. You've got three books. Yes. And the it's fourth, a fourth in the way. It is on the way, yes. Okay, so let's talk about the first two. So you have a, quite an extensive background in art. So you yes. you grew up in Michigan. Indeed, yes. And three for rivers. Sins, yes. Right, three rivers. Yes. And you got, out, yes. you got out of there as quick as you could. Yes, it was a lovely place to grow up, but it was definitely time to go <laughs> at 18. So at 18, you went to the New Mexico State University? I went to Eastern New Mexico University, which is even Eastern. more glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and why there? Like... It was a funny thing. I was, you might remember this, when you graduate from high school and then they send you loads of yeah, pamphlets oh yeah, yeah. and letters 
And I'd done okay on things like ACTs and, you know, my grades were fine. So they kept sending you all this stuff. And I remember I was sitting with my grandmother and we were opening countless letters. And this letter from Eastern New Mexico came and said, based on your ACT and your grade point average, we would like to offer you a full academic scholarship and you just have to pay for your, you know, lodging or whatever it was wow, called. Wow, that's a nice carrot. And my grandmother said, well, why don't you go there? And I've never been to New Mexico. My grandmother had been to New Mexico, as far as I was aware. And we were like, okay. So I literally applied, got accepted, got my scholarship. And my grandmother and my aunt and I turned up in Portales, New Mexico. Which is really not much it was there. Just, it was on the plains. I'd never seen a place with like no trees and flat in <laughs> Michigan. But yeah, it was good. So you got a four-year degree in, in art. Yeah, two-dimensional design, drawing, painting, okay. photography. So you developed your hand. Yes. And that that muscle memory is it, really important. Super important. I stress that all the time. And then after university, you know, when you think you're going to be a famous painter and all the things you're supposed to be doing, your parents are like, you need to get a job. Okay, whatever. So anyway, I ended up in California after various things. And that's where we met that's at the where fashion we met, college. At fashion, at fashion college. And I had come to San Diego and I was like, this place is so weird. Like people go to grocery stores barefoot. Like as a Midwestern person, I was like, oh, like mind blown. I'm like, I'm not sure. So I called my father and he said, okay, I'm not moving you anywhere. Because he would come I and pick me this. up and drag me around. And he's like, you just need to sort it out. You know, call me in a year or whatever. Yeah. Just figure it out. And I did. Actually, I loved San Diego. And you made a lot of lo- really amazing friends. Great and- friends. Great connections. My career started here. And everything yeah. that followed came from that, this, that, time, know, that time in San yeah. Diego. Yeah. And I love San Diego. I yeah. still love We come twice a year. We love San Diego. But... So when I was here, I did a fashion degree course, which is how we met. That's how we met, yeah. So after fashion design, and I'd gone to, I was at the museum, and it was really just, I developed some workshop for teenagers, like tweens, there was a fashion drawing course, and it was very successful, and they were great. And the thing I loved about doing that is because you don't, I didn't want to talk to them like they were kids, like, okay, you want to be a designer, here's what we're going to do. Yeah. And the parents would come in, and the kids were like in the suit. They were like in the super zone, zone, super zone. I, yes, like it's fun were, to see. It's crazy. Like the, it's silent, silent. And the parents were like, "What happened to our children?" Like literally, they don't want to leave. They're just designing. Yeah. Like they're just in the space, and you know they're not being, you know, yeah. You just let them do what they want to do, yeah. but in an intelligent way. Like here's and show them how to do it, and they do it. So that was a really good experience. And we'd had a book launch. This is a long story. Anyway, we'd had a book launch for this book from a publisher on fashion drawing for kids. And it was things like, oh, take a bubblegum wrapper and then make a dress out of it on the page. I'm like, who wants a bubblegum wrapper dress? Right. So I said to my colleague, the head of the, she was the director, I said, we should just pitch our own book because this is our wor- Well, in our workshop, I think, could offer a different. Right. And we did, and they came to the workshops. They saw what happened. We put together a sample, and it went from there, and they published it. So which one was first? How, How to Draw, draw like, like a, a Fashion, fashion designer. designer. Which is in something like 12 languages yeah. currently. Uh, Thames and Hudson. Uh, yep. So you went into the second book, which is how to draw vintage fashion. Yes. So how did that? So that came up right after, pretty much right after. Yeah. So once the book was published, and immediately 
great sales. They were very the first great. one. The first how to draw like a fashion designer. They loved it. It was already co-editioned. It was in French and German and Russian and Korean and all. You know, it was already so, going yeah, off. Okay. They loved it. Um, did really well. It's won awards and various. Things. They being the pop- Thames and Hudson. Sa- yes. uh, t- t- Thames and Thames and, and Hudson. Hudson. So Thames and Hudson came back to us and uh-huh. said we would like another book. It's successful, so okay. we would like to commission another book. And that became How to Draw Vintage Fashion. And that one was really how do fashion designers look at the past, take inspiration, and how do you add that into design? How do you as a designer use that? And again, these books are, they were pitched for sort of 12 to 15 year olds, but... I think it's for everybody. Everybody sell, but we sell them to adults, we sell them to university students. So it's actually children buy them. So it's been a really amazing book and that all sorts of people can engage with it. But I love the vintage fashion book because it really is full of information. We really wanted to give people a chance to learn things while they're looking at vintage fashion. So there's a lot of ideas about vintage and, and the different decades and what was happening. And I think for us, well, me particularly, I did my master's in design history and material culture. So for me, the actual kind of context of clothing is really important. And we can read what's happened in history through vintage fashion. Mm -hmm. So things were happening and that's reflected in how we dress. For sure. Because there's so many people that think, oh, I'm not interested in fashion and I don't. Or I'm not interested in history. History. But. It, you know, it's happening all around you and yeah. you, you get dressed you're in, the, in you're living in it and you get dressed in the morning, you're engaging with the fashion system at some level, even rejecting it as engaging with it or yeah. choosing not to be in the fashion system, but say, okay, I'm going to work with vintage clothing. I'm going to wear pieces that I find that have had previous lives. I'm not contributing to buying more stuff. Yeah. For like fast fashion. I exactly. Mean, and I think you're you also your aesthetic yourself you're very particular about what you wear yes and you also really care about what definitely, you wear definitely definitely and i think a lot of kids are really discovering vintage for the first time maybe going to a thrift store exactly and i think knowing history of fashion and, and what you're looking what at, you're looking exactly. at is really important and really in, in reality very little is new technically totally. you know there there things are just rehashed from a new perspective possibly definitely um knowing vintage i think that's a, a good book to pick up you can it gives you kind of a snapshot on vintage and also fashion history totally that you can it's easily digestible yep. and fun to read. And, and then good you can examples. Also, and yeah. you can do some drawing. Exactly. You can get yourself in the zone. And so those were your first two. And yes. then the Cave Facet. Yes. So which is your most recent. Most recent. So Cave Facet is from California. He just had his 85th birthday. Okay. He's still, he's still, still alive. Going strong. So the thing with Cave, he moved to England. Well, he went to England. I don't think he ever maybe planned to stay in England. He went to England in 64, 65. Okay. And immediately fell in love with England and just never went back. Like he just stayed in England. He's okay. based in England, London. He has been ever since. And he started out... Um, he did his illustrations. He was an artist and he did his paintings and he was doing these white on white paintings. And yes, he was doing various things. And then on he met a fashion designer called Bill Gibb and they went up to Scotland to see his family. And on the way, he was so inspired by the landscape of Scotland that on the train home, he had bought yarn of all the colors of Scotland and the mosses and the heathers and the stones. And he said to somebody, can you teach me how to knit? (laughs) as you do so by the time he got to London 
he could knit. And I have to say, he's on the train. On the train. And he's learning to knit. And he had a vision for this stripy jumper, which he still has. The first thing he knitted, but jumper, aka sweater, aka sweater. Sorry, when you live in England, you have to you have to talk like you, that, and nobody knows what you're talking about. Language there, yeah, like pavement and boot. And um, so he was he learned to knit, and he has a remarkable facility. He is a natural knitter, and that is he became a super famous knit designer. Wow, he worked for the Masonis, and then. In the 80s, he said, okay, I'm going to do a book. And he had a vision for like a knitwear coffee table book with the patterns. Because you think of knitting patterns, okay. not so sexy. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So he's like, no. So he had a fantastic photographer he worked with, a guy called Steve Lovey. They took like, they were like fashion shoots. And these amazing knit patterns. His knits were very complicated. The actual stitching isn't. The patterns themselves are super complicated with huh. lots of colors. And it just exploded and Uh Kay Fassett has been a textile superstar ever since and in the 90s he started to do quilting okay and that went crazy and you said a lot of these quilts people like are fanatics fanatics like collecting them and just really and he produces textile design so and yeah huge superstar he's like a rock star and he's 85 and literally they just queue up to get anywhere near anything with Kay Fassett. Isn't that interesting? It's amazing. But I have to say, there is something about Kay's work that is super inspiring. It yeah. does change how you see the world. But it's a beautiful sure. book. Oh, thank you. And how long did it take you to, to do? Well, funnily enough, we were doing the exhibition, and I said, well, I think we should do a book. Because there's lots of books by Kay. Kay produces lots uh-huh, of books. But about, not one on... Not about Kay. I said, look, I think we can do this. So I went to Yale... Yale Publishers, and this was Yale UK, and I said, "Oh, because I know the edit, the you know publishing guy, the head of the art books," and I said, "Oh, can we do this?" And he said, "Well, let me take it. And you have to do a form, and it goes to the board, and it's Presented. Yale. Yeah, Yale in the United States has to be on board, otherwise, it's not going to happen." They loved the idea. They came back. This was in December. They said, "Yes, we'll do it," and then everything has to be in like in March. Ooh. Like all the text. Oh, that's a lot in a short period of time, like, Dennis. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> you think, okay, so you have friends, you call in some favors. So I got colleagues I know, uh, people like Mary Chaser, who is the textile authority of the entire world. Like, so a lot of collaboration. A lot of collaboration. So people contributed essays to the book, and I wrote an introduction. We interviewed Kaif. We worked with... Uh, Debbie Patterson, who does all the photographs for Cave's books, and you know she has since the late '90s. So you know, a wealth of photography that you know she was part of the book. So it became a really fantastic project. Again, it's gone amazingly well, and Done it's really a beautiful well. book. So you. if you want to pick it up, it's called *The Artist's Eye* by Dennis Notruff and it's Cave Facet. Cave, yeah. So totally changing direction. Picking 101 in London or in England. Like what if somebody was to visit England and come to London or, you know, like when I visited you, we were in Broadstairs, which is the southern east and almost at the tip, right? Yes, we're at the very tip of Kent. So you can see France on a clear day. Yes. Yes. So if you wanted to do some picking, what? where do you start? What do you do? Well, for me... Because your house is fantastic it is full of stuff it's a little old lady's house basically it's yes yeah, so my vision beautiful was, antiques thank you and it was and most of those were thrift stores that i know and boot sales. we talked it about a lot yeah. and i think for me my inspiration if you know like colfax and fowler and the english country house look which actually didn't 
was invented in the 1950s. Okay. Late 40s, 1950s with John, uh, John Fowler. So that was really the inspiration. That's always been my kind of thing. Like, I love that style. So okay. that was kind so of the So describe impetus. it for somebody who wouldn't know what that looks like. Well, there's a lot of things. <laughs> it's maximalism it's versus maximalism. minimalism. It's maximalism. But the thing that I've always loved about John Fowler and someone like Nancy Lancaster is that they created the most amazing houses. And we're talking proper like country houses, like full on, you know, palaces. But the whole thing was, you know, it's England. So people have to be able to sit on your furniture and the dogs come in. So you have this amazing stuff, but then it's also, you don't want people to feel uncomfortable. They can put their feet up on the sofa. It doesn't matter. Right, they okay. can move It's cushions. comfortable. It's comfortable. So that's the whole kind of aesthetic. And it's, it, there's a lot of things. I happen to like Staffordshire figures. Yes, you do. They're my favorite. I have to say I've seen them. There, you've seen <laughs> they're them. fantastic. And the thing I love about Staffordshire is that they're not particularly fashionable at the moment. So you can get quite good ones. I was going to say, we've you found some for... Five, yeah. ten... Pounds. I mean, yeah. very inexpensive. Inexpensive. They're not overly fashionable. A lot of times they're stuck back together, which doesn't bother me either. That's one of the things we talked about when we were out picking is you didn't care if something was slightly broken no. and re-glued. It just, no. it almost gave it a little more of a, like a story. specialness, a story to well, it. I always think of things have a life. Yeah. And I'm only a custodian of those things. Oh, that's a Until the next person comes. I'm only a custodian of this. And, you I know, like if you see it, uh, to me, if I see a Staffordshire figure, and I tend to like the, I mean, we have some dogs, but I like the people. And they're usually quite homely little things. You know, they their are. faces are a bit <laughs> lumpy. And, and the paint's peeling. You know, they're, they're Victorian. Right. And they were mass produced as an inexpensive decorative object. Right. You know, they weren't Chelsea figures, which were really expensive. These were mass produced in Staffordshire. And I love them. The homelier are this, and then you think, well, nobody's going to take that poor thing home. So obviously, you take it home because yeah. it needs somewhere to live. And I mean, there's something on every surface in your house, on Sadly, every yes. every uh, wall space. Yes, but it is, it is such. It's almost like a. A little adventure to walk through your house. You know, I feel like my store is that way too. It, exactly. Where you come in and you want to spend time looking at all because it's so curated it is, and it's yes. re- really thought out. Yes. Also, your colors of your walls are yes. beautiful. Yes. Like your your dining room, isn't it red? Yeah, it's like this dark, red, dark red. Yeah. And the furniture is dark brown. And you know, I have a beautiful you know Regency table and a Victorian sideboard and some corner check cabinets and mirrors. And I happen to like chinoiserie, so there's a fair bit of that. Yeah. We have a big collection of blue and white china. And there's a lot of books. There's a lot of books. And sadly, I keep buying books, and I'm always <laughs> on book restriction. Or but, Dominic says, you need to get rid of books. So I'll go through and find one. I'm like, okay, that could go. You have one book. You <laughs> gave me one, book. and I took it exactly. with me. Exactly. I take books. Every, I have, I've taken my books everywhere when yeah. we move. So when you're out, I know when we went, um, one of my favorite parts about traveling is experiencing vintage or picking in a different city or a different country and you guys took me to they call them charity shops they're charity shops yes. charity shops which basically is a thrift store it's a thrift store but it's typically specific charity like yes. there was one for cats yeah there's the in cat, Broadstair. Res- cat rescue cat Granite rescue cat rescue yeah and it was a little tiny shop 
and we were headed to the train station and I saw these two little black salt and pepper shakers oh, yeah, those little 50s, in the windows. Yeah. It was from the 50s. And cats, the, yeah. the, the store was closed. I was like, let me in. And um, Dominic was so sweet, later went and got them yes. for me. And I brought them back and I sold them in the store. So yeah, I could turn my vacation into a work, tech, you know, quote, buying work trip, trip, buying trip. I also got a lot of like inspiration from a lot of the shops mm. you know because i'm seeing vintage and and antiques is different totally. because you're in a different country and Definitely. you're it's based on what people have in their home and what they're donating yes so what are you seeing in well, like are you seeing a trends or anything in the thing that i find it because i think you have charity shops and thrift stores and boot sales you know like What's a boot sale? A boot sale is when you pull up into a field and you have, you know, hundreds of cars. We call it a flea market. A flea market. People get junk out of their boot. And out of their trunk. set them up. So we do boot sales and, you know, or there are places that are selling you vintage things where they've done that work for you. Almost like an antique mall or a vintage yes. mall. Yes, like exactly. Okay. So there's ways of approaching those things. And the thing I've noticed, and I think I blame like Antiques Roadshow. So it's much harder I think to find really cool stuff at a decent price mm. in charity shops I think they're much savvier than they used to be okay because of the internet I because think of too. the internet we know and same then, here that's what's happening here and you have like Oxfam is amazing so the Oxfam shops are great but obviously Oxfam is a big enterprise so they know when they're getting good stuff and that gets siphoned off to their website or wherever so okay. just like here and they have smart shops you know much smarter areas will have really good charity shops so there are definitely places where i found great vin like thrift stores uh -huh. consistently like they have good stuff and usually it's that farther off the beaten track you are the better yeah and some of the smaller towns yeah, will have like these little you know, shops that are run by a grandmother or totally. just volunteers. It's that, a lot of volunteers. Yeah, volunteers, and it's raising money for that particular charity. Yes, or something. and I find I get loads of cookware there. I think a lot of my baking or you know pie dishes, it all comes from charity shops, which is pudding basins, whatever you want. I mean, and I mean, England is a much older country totally. than America. And there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. And they were the you know the manufacturers of the world. They were the workshop of the world. So the Victorians produced countless things because they could. Yeah, because they could. Not always good, but they and, could. And and being a collector, um, it, it's, like you said, you're curating. You're bringing yeah. something into your home that you're enjoying. Exactly. And you live on a very old property. Your, your husband is the rector of a church. Yeah. And you live in this amazing cottage. Yes, the rector. It's like going back in time. <laughs> it literally is like going back in time. So living that, that having it in in your home also kind of marries everything don't you feel yeah definitely and i think you for me and maybe it's because i'm not english so to me it was creating a vision for me of what england was which was based on looking at you know books or seeing movies and things so i have an idea of it of what it, you wanted yes and it's interesting sometimes you see english houses where they've lived there for a hundred years and it is that the the upholstery's torn or faded and you know there's just they live with this stuff all of the whole time so you there from but for me it was always sort of what's my vision of england or telling a story through your house That's and how it I really is it. yes it really does That's what it's, I try it's to do. very cozy it's very cozy and particularly with the fire going yes it's a really lovely home Thank um you. and so 
when you travel, because you travel quite a bit, you yes. go to Berlin, you've yeah. gone to Sweden, you've yeah. traveled a lot. When you go to other cities, do you tend to do any kind of vintage? Do you look at uh, vintage shops? I try or? to. And the thing that's interesting, I think you get some places are great for vintage. Can you give antiques. it a certain example? Or? Like I found Sweden, I found loads of cool stuff in Sweden. Like they had an amazing charity shop in this place. The town is a city in Sweden, but it was. Well, I don't say the middle of nowhere because that's not fair to Sweden. But for me, it wasn't <laughs> Stockholm. It right. was out in somewhere else because we had done it. We were doing an exhibition at this museum, but they had an amazing charity shop, the best linens ever. Because certain countries, like Sweden, is very good with textiles. Okay. They are they understand textiles. They produce textiles, and you can find amazing stuff. But just hand embroidered linens, the most fantastic, and stacks and stacks of this stuff. It was amazing. So Sweden's been great, and then I went to Denmark. And I love Copenhagen, but obviously Copenhagen had a clear out in the mid-century because it's all about Arne Jakobsen and, you know, egg chairs and Hans Wegener, all the classic mid-century furniture yeah. that came out of Denmark. But I'm like, well, where's the old stuff? Like, they obviously just got chucked it. Like, where's Where did they stuff? put it? Do I don't know. It's got to be in someone's house. Exactly. I couldn't find it. Those like, people, once they die, maybe some of them yeah, will enter. You couldn't. You definitely didn't find... Far and few between. Yeah, it didn't seem like... I'm sure they're there somewhere, but maybe I was in the wrong parts of Copenhagen because it obviously was modern. Yeah. Like, they modernized The Danish, yeah, which is so hot right now. Totally. Like, they embraced modern... And I love modernism, so it's totally fine, but it's totally different to somewhere like Sweden. Yeah. And you've actually been to China. I've been to China. Any vintage in China? I really really wanted to. Actually, they're called... Anna's good at this. They're called ghost markets. So they have them at night. Ghost market? Yeah, it's like a flea market at night. Okay. And you can, there's loads of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in China as well. They produce a lot. And I think China also had that period where they were things went, and now they bring things back. Okay. Like the Chinese are buying their own things. So back. they're sort of re, re, re-engaging re, re with things. Okay, with antique uh, and vintage things. Yes, or Chinese culture that's much older than the Cultural Revolution. Okay. So. And so when you go to, are you, because that's one of the things I love about travel is I buy something. Oh, uh, I definitely buy things. Uh, where did we go? Was it Sandwich that I found that little shop? Oh, Sandwich, yeah. Uh, sandwich. And I bought, I went into this um, little boutique and I'm trying to remember, uh, what was the name of it? And I started following her on Instagram. I can't, all of a sudden. Oh, she had that fabulous place yeah, where was, you bought your kimono. Yeah, I bought this uh, oh, yeah. Korean kimono. Yeah, really cool. Beautiful. And her shop was amazing. Sh- think of the name oh. of it i'll have to look it'll come I'm sorry to yeah it's on the tip of my tongue but engaging with the shop owner Definitely. and talking with mm. her really makes that experience so much more visceral definitely and you really get a sense of a person's life and i really encourage my our listeners when you're out and you're meeting or you're you know in a shop Talk to the owner if they're there. Definitely. Get to know them. Why did they Why did they create this this business? You know, for me, it was kind of out of uh, desperation and needing something to do with my life. But and, now... And now I'm like... I, you're I, a star. I honestly love what I do. And, you know, it is a challenge every day. And physically, it's a lot of work. But I also enjoy the fact that I can save things. Totally. And then you get this like little high when you buy something and you're excited when somebody buys it or when something comes in and like uh, a couple days ago we we had um, these lamps come in from uh, Emily and Fernando, two of our buyers, and they were gone within 24 hours. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, that 
that piece is now going to be loved again. And they're from the seventies. It's, it's, it's fun. So when the thing I liked about being in your home is sitting there reading my book, having my tea or my Mm -hmm. coffee and looking around at all the things. And it tells the story of Mm. you. And you try to, well, when I put a room together, I try to sit everywhere and see where you do. Yeah. That's kind of to kind of get a sense just to get of a like, sense of what that corner looks like when you're sitting there. Oh, like how does that look? I like that because you had your own chair. Yes, and Dominic has his chair. Yes, and I know you guys also have. Um, when I was there, it was a little market, and a lot of the little ladies came and sold. And there yes. were several. Yes, um, we have our Saturday market at the church. Saturday market at the church, and it's inside yes. the hall. And, you know, some of the ladies were reselling things that oh, were used completely. items. And I was like, I'll buy that, I'll buy that. And they were like, oh, this crazy lady from America. Yeah, She's totally. buying all our stuff. And that's a great place. That's a great way. Like jumble sales at churches in England. That's a great What is it place. called? A jumble, jumble sale? Jumble sale. Well, we don't call it. It's a market. So, okay. But it, traditionally, they were jumble sales. And you would be raising money for the church. Yeah. So, but those are great places to find things because it is definitely a mixed bag. All sorts of things fly through that little market. Okay. So while you've been here, have you done, you, you typically buy clothing for yourself. I do, but, yes. But uh, your best friend, Valerie Lee, owns Chateau Ballage. Which is fantastic. And she's Valerie also Lee a Florida. huge collector and she's, has been a collector for many years. Yes, I have to say Valerie and her mother, Michaela, have also been a really big inspiration visually because yeah. they're so good and not just the clothing because that's I mean Valerie's amazing yeah, yeah. but just putting everything together they've yeah. always had amazing and like La Bellage has amazing things so everywhere you looked again something was happening Yeah. so I've always had that kind of in my life which has been great and I also had an amazing aunt Aunt Eunice yes. who really should have been an interior decorator and she was another avid antiques collector but every corner was a vignette it told you a story I totally inherited that and I think you in a way collect your friends in a sense when you think about like I've noticed the people that you surround yourself are creative they have something to say they inspire you they push you Mm. they really I think that's really important for our listeners surround yourself with people that are going to inspire you definitely I think that's really what makes our life special is that if you have people around you that are that are inspirational and exciting and you have something to talk about versus just you know dumb stuff on politics or yeah, whatever totally. I mean, you, or just even if you see somebody because we're Valerie and I were talking about this like if you see somebody that looks amazing you should say you look amazing because yes. think of all the people that never say you look amazing right but they think it or if you go into somebody's house and it's cool, like this is a cool house. You yeah. Know, tell people that. Have yeah. that dialogue with people. And I hear a lot of times customers come in and they'll pull something from the rail and they'll say, oh, where, where would I wear that? And I'm like, put it on. Like, enjoy. Life is short. Totally. Wear your fun fashion. Yeah, yeah. I don't have clothes for good. Like, my clothes are my clothes. So yeah. This is how I mean, I, I tend to wear a lot of utilitarian because of my business and I get things kind of dirty and, you know, I'm like... I'm lucky I don't have to. But, you know, like, I look at Valerie and she is a walking piece of art. Always. Like and she, she's, she's always super stylish. Yeah. Um, advanced style. Yes, Ari South Cohen. Yes. He is amazing. And I think if you follow him on Instagram, I really encourage you to do that. Definitely. It's fun to see um, older women and men 
wearing fashion in a very exciting, fun way. And expressive. Expressive way, yes. I mean, I definitely got... I think when I turned 50, personally, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to buy what I want to buy. Yeah. And, you know, whatever. Enjoy it. Enjoy it and wear it. And, you know, that's, I like that part. Yeah. I mean, I think I've always, I've always liked my clothes. You've always loved fashion. Oh, always. Yeah. But I think I've had more of a focus. Like, yeah. you know, I'm just going to wear what I want to wear. Exactly. And I don't care. So <laughs> how can people uh, sort of find you? Uh, fashion Textiles Museum. If you go to Fashion Textile Museum or on... The f- on Instagram. On Instagram, on Facebook. Website. Okay. And website. Whatever the other thing is called. And then check out the three books uh, Dennis has. It's how to draw uh, like a fashion designer and then also how to draw vintage fashion. And the most recent is the cave facet, the artist's eye. And And then new books coming. And what is it? And that is with my colleague Celia that I did the two books with, the drawing books. And uh, we were approached again by Thames and Hudson. So it's the history of fashion for children. Oh, okay. And it's being illustrated by an illustrator called Rose Blake, who okay. does lovely work. And she's done a book with David Hockney, and she did a book on the history of music. And this is the history of fashion for children. Wonderful. So that is coming. And you're leaving back to London tomorrow. Well, yes. we're recording, but yeah. So yes. uh, this will uh, this uh, podcast drops on the 18th of January. We yes, I will be landing in London on the 18th. Okay, so, so. it'll be a lot. So, and you also did um, an artist, you have an Instagram, what is it called? The Oh, Art Break. Art Break, which you stopped doing for a little while. But yeah, I, I, might think... pick it, I need to pick it back up. But also, you can see that on Facebook as well. So there's so, the Art Break page on Facebook. It's called me. Art Break. The Art Break. And uh-huh. I think Instagram might be Art Break with Dennis. Okay. And definitely... So that's a way to follow you and yes. see what you're doing. And on doing. my own personal Instagram. Okay. Is it public? Oh, yeah, totally. So, and spell spell your last name for everyone. Yes, because it doesn't make any sense. N-O-T-H-D-R-U-F-T. So That's thank it. you, Dennis, My for pleasure. being what our a treat. guest. Yes, I'm so happy that we could fit this into your yeah, busy schedule while you've been here. Um, so thanks, everybody, for joining our 11th episode of Vintage Picking with Bad Madge. Uh, of course, uh, we always encourage you to subscribe. If you have any questions or you have a comment and you want to share with us, you can email us at badmadgepodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you know, we want you to comment and like and subscribe. It helps our show grow. Please share with your friends. Um, you know, we've, we're finding that the podcast is definitely getting more people following us and listening. So we really appreciate you sharing with people. And I'm Tanya McInear of Bad Madge. And thank you again for being with us. We'll see you next month. Thank you. Thank you. That's great.